If you got your Bibles, we just started a study of the person of David, and we've come to maybe the best-known Bible story in the entire Old Testament, story of David and Goliath. We're in 1 Samuel 17, so if you got your Bibles, we'll turn there. And I gotta, I gotta be transparent with you this morning. I mentioned last week that uh, I have a concern that as a church in America, we are losing the Old Testament narratives, the power of the stories of what God has done. And, uh, and, and these stories are rich and they're great. Now, I've got to be honest with you, this being one of the greatest stories in the Bible, I was reminded, though, of why it's so hard to preach the Old Testament narratives, is that some of them are really long. Like, this is like 60 verses long. And I struggled all week with, you know, do I just start, read the text, and then wake you up when it's over and go from there? Or do I just tell the story? Uh, but there's such good things in the text that I don't want to miss. So we're going to, you know, the old saying, how do you eat an elephant a bite at a time? We're going to take it in little bits and chunks here. And uh, we're, we're going to skip over a few things just for the sake of, of time. But it's a great story. So if you got your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to start here in verse 1. We'll read the first 11 verses to get us started. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Succoth and Azekah and, and Ephesdamon. It's another beautiful piece of the Old Testament are the names, right? <laughs> Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle of array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I want to start today, and I want to talk about the giant. Now, before we do, let's just do a little topography here. So if you were to go to the Valley of Elah, this is it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we are looking upwards, like kind of northeast, so from the southwest to the northeast, and you can kind of get a sense of the valley here. So the 
over here on this mountain would have been the Philistines with Goliath. Here's this valley of about a mile. Then up on this hill would have been Saul's camp. Down here, by the way, there's a little, little river that runs through there. You want to know where David's going to get a five smooth stones? That's where it's at. But that's kind of what it looks like today. And out of this, we see Goliath. Now, one of the pieces that I want you to get today, and I want you to understand, is that Goliath was a real giant. But the truth of the matter is, is that in all of our lives, there are giants. And there's some similarities here that you'll see in Goliath, that you'll see the things in, in your life. First of all, giants are always big, right? The, the, the So, in the last service had a guy up here on stage that probably clocks in about five foot five, right? Not necessarily a giant. They're not as intimidating. Goliath, nine foot six. How do I illustrate that? This is the best I could come up with. Now, I, I come in about six foot, nine foot six. He's a big dude. Now, some would suggest, okay, there is one ancient manuscript that says instead of six cubits in a span, four cubits, which would put them about six, six. But honestly, when you begin to look at what he's wearing, this coat of mail that he has, it talks about 5,000 shekels of brown, basically 175 pounds to 200 pounds he's wearing, he's carrying, he's moving in. I think probably the nine foot six is a better idea here. This is a big guy. The, the end of his spear, 20 to 25 pounds that he is hurling through the air with a big shack on the back of it. And folk, whatever the giant is in your life, they always are larger than life. They're always big. And the whole point here of what they do is they intimidate. You know, you can imagine this guy, nine foot six, walks out, and basically what he's, he's suggesting here is a representative fight. I'm the champion of the Philistines. You send out the champion of Israel. We'll duke it out. We'll save lots of bloodshed here. And then whoever wins, they get to win. Now, you're going to see that's not actually how it would ever play out. Uh, when, when the two would duke it out, whoever won, that army now would attack the other army. There's still a lot of bloodshed, but that's what he's suggesting. But he's a big guy. Who wants to go take on the guy that's nine foot six, right? Intimidation. He hurls insults. He, he basically calls them out. He's talking smack with them way back in the day. That's what, that's what giants do. That's what giants do in your life. They intimidate. They want you to capitulate in silence and just act in submission. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a sense of worry. Whatever it is. Giants are intimidating. And giants don't go away. What's really interesting is Goliath shows up. He comes out. He taunts the armies of Israel. But if you look over here in what? Verse 16, it says, The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days. 40 days. So let's go back in your mind to May 1st. A long time ago, right? Every day, twice a day, the giant shows up. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man. Where are you guys at? Are y'all chicken? You know, he's just yelling. 
He's just, he's intimidating. What's interesting too is the text would suggest that even when he went back to the camp of, of the Philistines, he didn't go blend in with the crowd. He sat there at the base so they could always see him. And twice a day, every day, he came out. Israel, I don't know. They're going back to their tents. I don't know if they were hoping, hey, tomorrow we get up, maybe the guy won't show up. But he shows up. He's there. Giants don't go away. Whatever giant you have in your life, if you don't take it on, it's not going away. It's going to be there. It's going to continue to come after you. And here's the thing. The longer you let them go, the more powerful they become. Now, there's an interesting little piece in the text here. So think back to the picture. Philistines are on the hill. Israel's on a hill, valley in between. And when you read verse 4, it kind of makes sense. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines. So he, he kind of comes out and talks. And, and verse 9, he's yelling, choose a man for yourself and let him come down. So the, the, the Goliath has come out of the camp of the Philistines and is down probably his side, but his side of the valley. Why don't you come down and fight with me? Well, what's interesting is 40 days later here, look at verse 23. So David showed up and he was talking with them. And behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines. You see it again here in verse, what, 25. The men of Israel said, have you surely seen this man who is coming up? He is coming up to defy Israel. So for 40 days, this guy's come out and he realizes Israel isn't going to do a thing. So he just keeps getting closer to the point now he's crossed the valley. He's starting to come up to them because he knows they're not going to take him on. That's what giants do. So let me ask you a question today. And this is the heart of what I want to talk to you about. Who or what is or are the giants in your life today? Is it fear? We we live in an age of fear. Is it worry? Anxiety? Maybe maybe that giant is is lust. I've been doing some work on the short family series that we're going to do in um, in August and uh, Barna did some research back in 14 so we're even five years ago and let's see what were the numbers 79% of all men 76% of women aged 18 to 30 say they view pornography at least once a month uh, another study came out, and now we're talking Christians, so Christians who come from the context that, okay, uh, we're not to lust, all that. 60% of Christian men struggle with pornography. 40% of Christian women struggle with pornography. Is that your giant? Is it a sense of, maybe, maybe it's debt? Maybe you just got this huge amount of debt and you just think, man, I'm never going to overcome it. Maybe it's that extra weight that you're carrying around and you say, I'm never going to get rid of it. What is your giant? You see, what it's going to do is, is, first of all, it seems to you to be unconquerable. That's what giants are. And it intimidates you, and it wants to capitulate you, cause you to just simply submit to it, and it gets stronger and stronger in your life. Goliath. Now, 
in the midst of all this, without one arrow being shot, without one spear being thrown, there's already people here that are defeated. Let's pick up the text here in what? In verse uh, 22. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, ran to the battle line, and and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Now skip down to verse 28. Again, sake of time here. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard... When he, that David spoke to the men, Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence, the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him and to another and said the same thing. And the people answered in the same thing as before. And when... The words which David spoke were heard. They told them to Saul, and he sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go down and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant also killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. That's kind of like, remember the three stooges? Mo would always tell Curly, go ahead, don't be afraid, I'm right behind you. Right, there you go, go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put on a bronze helmet on his head. And he clothed him with the armor. But David girded his sword over the armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested it. So David said to Saul, I cannot go in these things, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You see, there's this giant. He doesn't even have to throw, throw a spear. They're all intimidated. First one you see is Saul. So, now think about it. Who of all of Israel's armies should have been the first down to take on Goliath? Wouldn't it have been Saul? Don't you remember, we talked about this last week, Israel wanted a king, so God gave them the king they wanted, and Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody in Israel. Now, he may not have been six foot nine or nine foot six, but he was the tallest. He was the one who was anointed. He was the leader of Israel. He was the one, if God wasn't with him, who was God going to be? Saul didn't head out. In fact, what's really interesting is Saul actually devised a strategy. You see, there's a giant. He's a problem. We've got to get him taken care of. I'm not going out there. I'm intimidated by him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going fi- to create a plan. Here's the plan. If any of you will go fight and kill this guy, I'll give you great riches. Oh, by the way, I'll even do better than that. I'll give you my daughter. You'll become the son-in-law of the king. Oh, by the way, I'll even do better than that. 
I will make your entire family tax-free in all the land of Israel for all your days. Go, sick them. Fix it, right? And that's, that's what happens. We get intimidated. And now we'll fix strategies so that in our mind we can say, oh, hey, we're, we're taking care of the problem. But the problem's still there. We're not taking it on at all. But we soothe our conscience. Then you got Eliab, David's brother. And you got an older brother. Does not, does not verse 28 sound like an older brother? Eliab's anger burned towards David. Why have you come down? So he's questioning his motives. With whom have you left those, not those sheep, but those few sheep? He's running them down. And then basically, projection. I know the insolence. I know the wickedness in your heart. Now think about this. Again, remember, we've already met Eliab. He is David's oldest brother. God told Samuel, go to Jesse's house. I'm going to anoint one of his sons. Who was the first son that came in? Eliab. And when Samuel saw him, he saw his size and his stature. He said, surely the Lord's anointed must be in front of me. And God said, no, 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 no. Not this guy. Don't look on the outside. I'm looking at the heart. Eliab looked apart. He had stature. He knew that God had already chosen his brother to be the king. And yet for 40 days and 40 nights, 80 times he's heard this guy come out and defy the armies of Israel. He has not done a thing. Let me ask you, who's the wicked guy here? That's what happens. We let the giants go in our life and now others begin to suggest that hey maybe we could take them on maybe we, man we get mad we question them we, we we make fun of them we're willing to live in submission because of the giant third group here is the rest of the army of israel man again it's just like two year tents so israel they hear this guy twice a day every day they see him sitting down there and they're just kind of ignoring him you know, this is just how it is. And they, every day, get back up in the battle line. Here he comes. Here we go. We're done. I mean, that's just, they're, they're, they're just in denial. That's how people deal with the giants. I'm just going to go on. I'm going to act like it really doesn't affect, but it really does affect because I can't do. We're living in submission here, and I'm just going to act like it's okay. That's how a lot of Christians act about the giants in their life. For some, they devise the strategies. For others, they get mad at anybody you might even be mad at me today because i'm suggesting you know what god can give you the victory no no you don't understand you don't understand they like their victimization or they just want to ignore it this is just life this is just how we're going to do life there's some victors in this let's again let's pick it up here in verse 40 david took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook put them in the shepherd's bag which he had even in his pouch and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him and when the Philistine looked and saw David he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance I mean basically you sent Opie Taylor out to go get Goliath right 
The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that all his assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran. I like that. He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank deep into his forehead so that he fell on his face in the ground. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him. Cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along all over the body. I don't want to turn the page. There we are. The victors. Who's the victor? Well, first and foremost, you've got to understand, the victor here is the Lord. The Lord God, the Lord of hosts. That's David's whole point. It's not me coming out here. You've defied the armies of God. God is the one. You know, you think you're all that in nine foot six. Listen, one who made the heavens and earth, nine foot six isn't all that to him. God is the one who's going to get the victory here. And you think about how God has already anointed David to be the king. That's already taken place. God has already given him his Holy Spirit. Which we talked about last week, God's already taken David and given him that time of obscurity and solitude where he's learned that God is a God that can be trusted. Oh, by the way, he didn't sit out there in the middle of the wilderness playing his uh, computer games. But he did practice the sling. Hmm. God gave him the victory. And it might even be so that when David let go of that sling, that maybe God even had something to do with the direction of that stone landing right there. You think? I mean, you do know what Goliath's last words were, right? That never entered my mind before. Uh, okay. That's a bad joke. It's an old preacher joke. Sorry. The victory. The victor was the Lord. The battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Secondly, of course, you got David. David, who's now been anointed the king. This is kind of his coming out party. By the way, you want to talk about victory. This begins an 80-year run under David and Solomon where the Philistines are in subjection. David, the one who now is addressed, and, and now he's going to begin to lead the armies. And you're going to hear the song that, you know, Saul has killed his thousand, but David is ten thousands. David knew victory in this, but also it was a victory for Israel. 
Because this is going to become a rallying cry for them and the generations to come. Just like crossing through the Dead Sea, just like getting water out of the rock, it was David and Goliath. Because in their history, there have been so many times when Israel has been attacked and it has been the underdog. You remember 1967, some of you remember that, when the enemies of Israel came and they were going to march it into the sea. And God gave them a victory. They were the David. That was the Goliath. And they actually expanded their territories. Folks, there's victors. But here's the takeaway. And here's what I, I, I want to focus on today. What can we learn from this? And what we're going to learn from this actually goes back to that question I've already asked you. What's the giant? Who's the giant? Or what are the giants? Maybe there's more than one that are in your life today. Are, are you being overwhelmed by fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, lust, debt, weight? I mean, what is it? Envy? What is it that's in your life that somehow has just got you in that point of submission? That somehow, you know, Steve, that's great for you, but in my life, I can't overcome this. And so we just try to ignore it. We try to figure out a strategy without actually taking the thing on. We just decide, hey, this is how we're going to live. And when you hear somebody say, listen, you can know victory. No, 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 you don't understand or are we going to stand and understand that you as a child of God, that God wants you not to live in submission to some giant in your life. He doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to live with anxiety. He doesn't want you to live in, in the bondage of pornography. He doesn't want you to live under a mountain of debt. He saved us to make us free. So let me give you six takeaways in this. Number one. Past victories bring faith. And so you got to learn to celebrate and memorialize victories. So as David shows up, he hears Goliath. What does his mind do? It immediately goes to a bear and to a lion. Now, again, maybe to you and I, a bear and a lion, I don't know, it seems like a big thing, but maybe to the people there, it didn't seem compared to a nine-foot-six guy. But I'm sure to David, it was like, hey, I was out man with the bear. I was out man with the lion, but God gave me that victory. This guy isn't any bigger to God. And man, in your life and in my life, when we start thinking and celebrating those victories that God gives us. You know, if you're around here very often at all, in fact, if you show up to pizza with the pastor, I'll guarantee you, because I share it every single time, you're going to hear the story of 1997. We were two years into this church, and we, you know, we were under a huge financial problem and we were in in the red and we needed to finish the year in the black in the last 24 hours god brought in ten thousand dollars you know i shared it a couple weeks ago trust me if you're around you're gonna hear a story again why because that is a story of faith that is a story that god brought us through and i want everybody to understand that you know this is god's church it's not steve's church it's not your church it's his church he'll take care of it and by the way do you not think that in a few years because you know every ministry every church every all of our lives go through ebbs and flows we go through good times we go through hard times and in those difficult days that will come to us as a church do you not think that 
April of 2019 isn't going to be one of those stories that we're going to look back to and see the faithfulness of God. By the way, he dropped in our, in our lap an opportunity to go plant a church in a community of 30,000 people, and none of us knew where it was, right? Did anybody know where La Paz, Central Nicaragua was? No, me neither. And yet in a month's time, we got to raise $120,000. God brought in $200,000. We were able to get it done. And then this thing is supposed to take two years to actually get the property bought. Took like two months. Man, you've got to tell the stories. Listen, has, has God not changed your life? Is, is, there not, is there not something that God has already done in your life? Maybe it was a temper that you struggle with and God's changed that. Maybe it was a drinking problem that you had and God changed that. Maybe, maybe wasn't there even something in your salvation that God began to change your temperament. And you need to learn to celebrate those things and memorialize because they will give you faith to take on the giant because you're God can do it secondly david stood in his identity that he belonged to jehovah I, I, again verse 45 i love this verse david said you come to me with sword and spear and javelin but i come to you in the name of the lord of hosts remember when we did our study of the names of god jehovah sabbath the lord of hosts the god of heaven's armies Listen, Goliath, you're not just defying us. You're defying our God. I belong to him. He will protect his name. I don't come to you with a sling. I don't come to you with a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Son of God. I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. And I am here as his instrument. So let me ask you, who are you? Are you not a child of Jehovah Sabbath? Are you not a child of God? You know, we sing it all the time. I am chosen. I am not forsaken. I am who he says I am. The enemy wants to say, man, you're a sinner. You can't overcome that, that lust or that envy in your heart. But, but God says, no, 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 no. I've made you a new person in me. You're, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're holy. You are righteous. Stand in your identity. David didn't go as a shepherd boy. David didn't go as a, somebody who watched the sheep, as somebody who was somewhat good with a slingshot. David went as the representative of the Lord God Almighty. Stand in your identity. There's no giant in your life that can stand against him. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's told you, don't, don't be anxious for anything. Because <laughs> you sit in the palm of my hand, standing in your identity. I love Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. Even when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. For the Lord of heaven's armies, Jehovah Sabaoth is here among us, for the God of Israel is our fortress. Man, stand in your identity. Then, this to me is such an important point. God used what was in his hand. You go back to verse 40. And it says that he took his, in his hand, 
his stick, which was in his hand, and later on, his sling, which is in his hand. You know, so often when there's a giant in our life, there's just there's this, this imposing thing. We pray and pray and pray that God, and in our mind, that the idea is God will bring resource from the outside and will take care of this. Maybe it's that mountain of debt. Maybe it's that sense of change, you know, change on the outside so I won't have these lustful thoughts anymore. And yet the truth of the matter is, is that God most times doesn't do it like that. How he does it most times is what do you have in your hand? And let me, to prove it to you, just let me give you a couple stories. Do you remember Jesus? He's got 5,000 men plus all these women and children. They've been out for three days and they're hungry. Now we know he could have just called manna down from God, right? We know he could have taken the rocks and made them into bread. But that's not what he chose to do. His question to his disciples, what do we have on hand? Well, we have five loaves, two fishes. He says, plenty, sit down. Five loaves and two fishes is what they had in hand. He fed. Remember the story of the the widow. Her husband had been one of the prophets and he had died and they were in debt and she comes to Elisha, they're going to take my boys. He goes, well, what do you have? The only thing I have left is a little oil. Great, okay? Go get all of the vases that you can possibly get and borrow from your friends. Take them into your house and start pouring. Remember, they went in, they did that, and they poured, and they poured, and they poured, and they filled all the vases. And when the last one was filled and there were no more, it was empty. What do you have in your hand? That's probably what God's going to use. You're dealing with fear. What, what scripture have you hidden in your heart that God wants to bring out that he's not given us a spirit of fear? His promise that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. you you're struggling with, with lust. What are some of the friendships that God has put in your life of other men or other women that you can go and talk to them and they, they will come alongside and fight this battle with you? What talent has God given you? You're under this mountain of debt that maybe somehow you can start working that as a side job, a side hustle that will bring money so you can pay that down. What do you have in your hand? Small often how God is going to do this. For, for David, it was, a, it was a sling. So he picks up five little stones, and that's how God gives him the victory. Four here is that David's trust was in the Lord and not himself. You know, one of the problems, and I want to be really clear about this today, because I've heard David preached and I've heard about giants in your life, but you know how it so often has come across to me is this almost this idea of self-help. You can conquer the giant, you can overcome, and you kind of go, did they actually read the story? This isn't about David. This is about the Lord. David's so clear, I don't come to you with a spear and a sword. I don't come to you with a slingshot. I come to you in the name of Jehovah. The battle is the Lord's. And to understand that, that God is, is, you belong to him. If you're his child, he doesn't want you living in fear. He doesn't want you living in anxiety. He doesn't want you living in the bondage of lust. He doesn't want you living under a mountain of debt. He wants you to be free. Whatever that giant is, he wants to get rid of it for you. Battle belongs to him. This isn't about you picking yourself up by your bootstraps and talking yourself into it. No, 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 no. This is about wholly following after Jesus and letting him drive out 
those giants in your life. Number five is this. David aggressively took on the enemy. So he's walking out there. Now, again, you guys are sitting in the back. And, and I realize it's up on a stage. I tried to get it here. But if you walk up, nine foot six gets taller the closer you get to it. Trust me. Because I, I remember walking up to it the first time. Oh, that really is. That's a big dude. So David is walking. Goliath stands up. He's getting closer. And he runs, but he doesn't run away. He runs to it. He aggressively takes this thing on. And folk, I don't know how to say this. Uh, and I hope this is, doesn't come across offensive. It's just, uh, but it's truth. And that is, is that I've met, and I've talked with Christians who come to me of, you know, Pastor, I've got this giant in my life, I've got this problem, and, you know, I really want, and they keep wanting to devise a strategy and this, that, and the other, but basically, honestly, and, and I'm sure I've done it in my own life, so I'm not throwing stones, but truth of the matter is, they're not taking on the giant. They want it to look like they are, but they kind of come to grips with the fact they're not going to beat it, and so they're just trying to manage the giant instead of trying to take him out. Do you remember the story? Jesus shows up at the pool of Bethesda. There's a man who had been lame for 38 years laying there by the pool. He's lame. He can't get in. Supposedly, if you got in when the waters were boiling, you know, you'd be healed. And he's there trying to get in the water, but he's got this big, long story of why he can't get in. There's nobody there to help him and all this. Do you remember what Jesus' question to him was? Do you want to be well? Now, isn't that an odd question? A guy who's laying there, he's been laying for 38 years. He keeps, you know, he's got this great story about he wants to get in the water. But Jesus kind of knew maybe he really didn't want to get in the water because if he got in the water, he was healed. He wouldn't be lame anymore. Now he doesn't have, he doesn't have this ability now to, to beg. He doesn't have the people who will be helping him. I don't know what it was in his life, but there was a question. And I think Jesus understood, hey, are you content to be a victim to the giant? Or do you really want to get well? Do you really want to be set free? Do you really want to walk in the freedom that God has for you? You've got to aggressively take it on. And lastly, God eventually brought about others. That's that last verse. So he cuts off Goliath's head, and certainly just, you know, the armies of Israel now engage, right? And this is probably where the parallel isn't exact. But the truth of the matter is, is you don't have to wait to have the victory. The truth of the matter is, is that in the community of believers, there are people around you. And if you don't have them, you need to have them that will help you fight the battle. They will pray with you. They will speak truth to you. When you're listening to the lies of the enemy, they will be there. And in good conscience, they will lovingly tell you you're listening to the lies. They will help you in that battle question is, do you want to get well? You know, in all my years of, of working with, with men primarily who struggle with lust, there's one thing that I've found out, and that is, is that I have not yet met a man who just, you know, who struggled with, who struggled with pornography, who just decided in his own heart, that's wrong, I, I want to get this fixed, and was able to get it fixed. 
It was only those who exposed it to other men who could come alongside and speak truth and accountability to their life or who, in his loving kindness, God exposed it for them. And so now they're out. And so now, as long as it's out, hey, I want to come clean, it's only in that exposure. How badly do you want it? You know, I found as a pastor, I can't want it more for somebody else than they want it for themselves. You've, you've got to understand that there are people here, there are people in the community of the church that, that we've got to bring alongside to help us, to pray for us, to speak truth to us, to help us understand when we're listening to lies. But whatever your giant is, God can take care of it. God can take care of it.